Hi everyone, welcome to the AI of Mankind show, where I share anything interesting about mankind. I'm your host for this season. My name is Andrew Liu. I've worked across four continents and 12 international cities. Also, I've worked in tech startups across a range of roles from selling products, making customer happy, figuring out fundraising, making finance tick, building teams, and developing sticky products. Apart from building startups, I've also worked in Fortune 500 companies as a chief data scientist or technologist or people leader. You can call me jack of all trades or master of learning. I hope to make this podcast show a great learning experience for us. In each season, there is a series of interesting things where I invite guests to share their views about their life and interests. Now let the show begin. In the previous episode, John offered his views on how to initiate digital transformation and get buy-in from the various stakeholders. This episode continued the part 3 conversation with John and John shared his views on how AI is being deployed in the process of digital transformation and how AI will shape the future of work. Let's continue. Ah, so you're saying that AISG has a marketplace for a plumber for AI. Am I going to say that so that anybody that yeah, the does work with you guys and then let's say the previous freelancer, Mr. A, is gone. And you have a Mr. B, Mr. C. In Singapore, we have Service Hero, like a Uber or Grab, where they can book uh, another plumber for AI to do the gardening. That's correct. So we are trying to build this ecosystem so that these service providers will be very easy to book and you know, have them work on your particular project. Great. So the audience out there listening to this, AISG, not only have ways to enable you to deploy RP in a very simple, cheap and affordable way, but in terms of the gardening, they even have a marketplace for you to hook up a plumber or gardener to maintain your RP, regardless of whether your in-house guys, you know, is still around or not. Because um, in today's world, we are seeing a lot of attrition hashtag the great resignation. Now coming back, where do you see AI in the process of digital transformation? We have two buzzwords here. We have digital transformation slash automation, and then you have AI. So I think when it comes to AI, people don't really need to worry as much as they do about obtaining it or making sure that they are nothing. it. What I see is really, and that is just a technological improvement that has been created. Us to work with data that is slightly more fuzzy, when you use fuzzy logic. So with your automation, has you know various data that is fuzzy, then we'll bring in AI to tackle it. But otherwise, if your data is clean or straightforward and simple, then it's going to be a waste of money. It will be too complex of a tool to use. We can actually bring in uh, uh, simpler tools, and that's what we'll do. I think that actually the best AI is invisible. It works in the background, and people don't even know it exists. It just does the work, and everyone is super duper happy with the automation that it provides for them. Wow, that sounds uh, pretty abstract. So you mentioned about AI, the best AI tools is invisible. It works at the background. Uh, can you give us a bit more concrete example of possibilities? Sure. So for example, you have a FAQ for customers who want to know more on your product. Hmm. And right now, customers will maybe call you or WhatsApp you or email you with questions on the product. And then what you would do is you would either send them the FAQ or copy and paste the answers to their questions. And that's all done manually. I could 
create an evolution system that automatically matches the answer to the question. But do I do it with keywords or do I do it with an AI system? Actually, if I build the system in the right way or depending on how complex your FAQ is, you would never know which one is the background. It could be a very simple system to answer simple questions or it could be a very complex system at the back that translates the questions and the answers together. So to improve a business user, that is something that they actually don't need to worry about. All that they need to know is that for a set of answers and a set of questions, this system is going to be able to make them together. In other words, once the data is being digitized as a process, in this case, a FAQ, we could use a chatbot or natural language programming to enable that FAQ to be answered anytime with any human beings. And that's also a form of AI. So the interesting question is now that we just seen automation being very simple, cheap and easy to do and maintain, and AI can come in to further augment it. What, what is the impact of AI to the future of work? Yeah, so I think that there is a conception out there, a preconception out there, that maybe the nature of work is going to change and we are going to be, and to be a lot more creative, and to find new things to do um, than we've ever done before because AI is picking up tasks away. And maybe we have to figure out how can we work with AI or how can we be able to build the AI ourselves. Now, all of these things are valid. I actually don't think that this is going to be the case for a lot of people. I, I don't think that there would actually a lack of things and tasks in a company for staff to do. Most of the time, there is too little time to do everything in the company wants. So right now, with the ability to outsource all of this time-consuming burden work over to the AI, the things that have been on the back burner, the things that everybody knows exist, but have not had time to get to it, that is able now to come to the forefront. And from a nice-to-have kind of thing, work item, it becomes a I can have it work item. Things that they haven't been able to get to. So that is what is going to happen in the workplace. Uh, let's say, for example, if there's a 100 manual tasks out there, a guy is being hired to do 20 manual tasks. There's still 80 manual tasks that's not done. They are not prioritized. But with AI coming in, this 20 manual tasks that the individual is working on, let's say even if we automate 50%, 10 manual tasks, now you can do another 10 new manual tasks. And therefore, from an organization standpoint, the initial 50 manual tasks can now be 40 manual tasks. Is that what you're trying to say? You're absolutely right. Wow, this is a very amazing thing that it enables further productivity. So do you think that in the next five years, 10 years, this 100 manual tasks will be automated away? Or do you think that this 100 manual tasks will eventually be automated up to maybe, let's say, leaving 10 to 20 manual tasks that's too complex to be automated? Yeah, I think there's actually two, two endpoints that I see. The first is that companies that begin early, they are able to bring on these, like you mentioned just now, the extra five or 10 manual tasks. The reason why they are manual is because the company hasn't found a way to optimize them yet or put them into a process. So the work that staff would be doing to put these new five new tasks into a proper process, once the process is done, it can then also be automated and move on to the next five, the next 10. So eventually you will be able to automate far further down the line. 
But there will always be a subset of tasks that will require human judgment call based on the market dynamic, based on certain things that can't really be uh, reliably captured in data. Those are, I think, the tasks that will become the important things for the humans to take note of and continue to manage on a day-to-day -day basis. Wow, that's a very uh, interesting way to look at it. I, I sort of resonate with you that the beauty about automation is that it allows human beings to do more interesting or complex tasks that requires manual judgment or there are some data that cannot be dynamically captured and it is hard to be automated. And as such, do you think that such automation can actually improve our mental health because it reduces our cognitive load to manage so many tasks that we are seeing today? I, I think so. I personally hate doing manual tasks and it really saps my energy and creativity at the end of the day. So if I spend the whole morning, even just answering emails that I know have very formulaic and standard responses, I'm tired out at the end of the day and I don't actually, you know, put on my best work in the afternoon. So even for myself, I, I, I think automation does free us up to focus our minds on the truly value added things. Yeah, one of the pioneer in Silicon Valley, Steve Jobs. People always think that he's boring because he wears this black turtleneck shirt every day. No, he's, the reason he's doing that is he's automating the choice of selecting the black turtleneck. And therefore, it frees up his mind to do things that's more interesting. And that's how we can see iPhone or Apple products getting so creative during his time. Of course, now it's still creative, but that was the beginning of the renaissance for immersed creativity, better mental health, better quality of life. Now, coming back to this, so if this trend of uh, automation keeps going, we will be able to see that into the future that there will be a set of tasks that will be complex. It will require human ingenuity, high value, and yet also at the same time, it requires reskilling or upskilling. And it will take a time to get there. In that transition from automating the task to reskilling and upskilling. What is your view about this transition that AI actually create this disruption to human beings? One mistake that I always see is that staff think that they need to sink months or years of time into learning how to be calm. They are able to call themselves like reskilled. But I think that's not true. It's only true if you want to become a full-fledged software engineer and get a software engineering job. But for digital automation, what I have found is that actually just two or three weeks of study gave a place where you can actively participate and contribute to your company's digital transformation process. So you may not even be the one using the code or writing the code, but having done these two or three weeks of study of the digital foundations, will give you a greater appreciation of what's doable, what's not doable when it comes to creating uh, automated systems. And that being able to have the whole company be able to participate in this process would, would be a great way to begin building on that foundation. And from there, people can begin to specialize based on their interests or the needs of the company. Everybody always thinks that upskilling or reskilling means like going for a lot of courses, beefing up a lot of different coding skills. But we are seeing a lot of trends of saying no code or low co code tools that people drag and drop and they still do the work of this very advanced automation. 
and that more companies should in fact look into tools that require a lower cognitive cost of learning, a lower learning curve so that people enjoy learning and therefore they translate that learning to productivity output. Oh, I think they're absolutely right. When I am a judge, I go for no code all the time. If someone has already done some work, I try not to reinvent the wheel. I just sort of take my day and create that and use it as the foundation to all I want to build. And I think the reason that no code is because companies that provide these systems have found that many of these workflows that the no code on systems address very prevalent amongst many companies. And so it's the same workflow over and over again. That's what these local flat platforms are built for. And if your workflow matches what they provide, then you should absolutely use them because they have been fine-tuned to meet their specific needs. Spot on. If we ever meet a CIO or CTO of a mid-sized company or a big company or even small companies, their response is like this, Hey, John, I understand no code, but what happened if my organizations decide to change a process? Or what happened if I don't want to over-rely on these low-code and no-code? i rather hire my in-house software engineer or AI engineer or data engineer to wrangle that. I think the most important thing if a CIO or CTO decides to do that is that they should not segment these AI engineers or data scientists away from the business units. One of the biggest learnings that I've had is that when the data guys or the AI guys are not immersed in the business environment and the business needs of the company, they don't have a good understanding of how the data should actually be used to answer the questions in the business, how the data can be used to improve the customer experience. And usually what they didn't provide out to the business unit is something that would not be relied on or we would just come and use. So I think the most important thing if they were to hire a dedicated data or AI headcount, would be to cite that headcount directly in the business unit as far as possible. They need to have as much contact with the front-facing aspects of the business as possible in order to deliver the best flow. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode. We have come to the end of part 3 with John. In the next episode, we will continue with John on part 4 which he talk about the chicken rice hawker's career path in the context of AI. On top of that, John talked about his books and apps. Finally, he will share with us some career tips to build a career with AI. If this is the first time you are tuning in, remember to subscribe to this show. If you have subscribed to this show and love this episode, please share it with your friends, family and acquaintances. See you later and see you soon. Thank you.